With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Steelers have a big game this week against the Denver Broncos. The Stanley Cup Finals participants are not yet determined, but... There's still hockey going on, and it's still fun, and I'm going to talk about baseball, at least to start this show. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio podcasting network. I know, I know, nobody cares. Pirates lost last night 4-1 to in Cincinnati. And there can't be a dozen people left in our town who are moved by that in one direction or another. Uh, I'll be honest with you, even though it's my job to cover the Pirates, I'm not moved in one direction or the other by any kind of team-based outcome related to the Pirates and haven't been for quite some time. This season, to me, was shot pretty much after the second weekend. And, of course, there's only a handful of days left in this 60-game season. And not much that anyone who's having a bad year, and that's a long list for the Pirates, can do to turn it around. I bring this up and bring baseball up in general this morning for this one reason, Gregory Polanco is batting 138. I'm not making that up. I'm not taking some sort of satirical shot at him. He's batting 138. Last night in Cincinnati, he went 0 for 3, struck out three times, drew a walk. And he's in yet another monster slump. This one, 3 for 34 over his last 11 games. To describe his season as a disaster is an insult to disasters. Yeah, it started off a little understandably rough because he was diagnosed with COVID-19. We don't know what impact that has, but we do know that it doesn't have an impact, or at least we think we know, beyond a couple of weeks. So while he stumbled at the beginning, and he had one weekend where he was just creaming the ball and looked like a superstar, otherwise he's just been, I, I, I honestly, I don't have any more adjectives for him. I really don't. Insert moribund adjectives here. The reason that this matters is that in addition to being the Pirates' highest paid player 
this year at $7 million, at least in the absence of Chris Archer, who went down to an injury before this season started. Polanco will be the Pirates' by far highest paid player next year at $11 million. Uh, It's guaranteed money. With the performance that he's having right now, he's obviously completely untradeable. I mean, there's virtually nothing you could do to move a player in a contract like that. And on top of that, the Pirates, who don't project to have some great big payroll next year under any circumstances, regardless of what you think about how much or how little they should spend, if you have a younger roster, there's only so much you can pay them. You know what I mean? mean, You can go out and get yourself a bunch of free agents just to make sure that you're spending to a certain level. But the Pirates, with Archer off the payroll, and I presume that he will be, are almost going to need to keep Polanco's $11 million on the payroll. And that leads to, you know, you're stuck with him. And you got to play him. You got to play him in 2021. It's not so much about principle as it is your hope that he can go on some massive, spectacular career rescuing tear that then somebody takes his contract off your hands. But even then, you're only going to be saving half a year. And even then, nobody cares if the pirates of all teams save money because they don't spend enough in the first place. It's a weird, weird situation. And it's one that I think was made that much weirder by Derek Shelton's response last night in Cincinnati to a question that asked plain and simple, what does this guy have to do to be sat in the dugout? We have to continue to, to get him out there. We have to, you know, continue to make sure he gets his at-bats and, and work through it. And, you know, he's going to work through it, and he's going to be a big part of what we're doing, you know, not only the end of this year, but into next year. That is a manager not speaking as a field manager. That is a manager speaking as someone who understands things from above, whether it's Ben Charrington, Travis Williams, Bob Nutting, however it is that you want to map it out. That's somebody speaking based on someone else's input. He's being told we're sticking by Polanco. He's being told that we have to try to maximize him. We have to try to pick him up. We have to do something. We have to try to make him movable. Maybe maybe they honestly believe, and I, I can't rule this out. I, I know in speaking with Ben Charrington, he believes in Polanco. I know in speaking with Shelton that he believes in Polanco. Uh, His teammates absolutely believe in him. But to what end? What are you going to get out of him in 2021? What you wish you had here is a scenario where there was someone pushing him, like there was a Key Brian Hayes somewhere that's just banging down the door to play right field. But since this was a Neil Huntington, Kyle Stark farm system that was left behind, there is, of course, no such thing. There's, by every account, one uh, 
outfield prospect in the system in Jared Oliva, and he's more of a center fielder. I've not heard him associated with right or left. And he's also still, for all intents and purposes, a double-A player. There's no one that Polanco's blocking. What a weird, awkward situation. I don't even really have a point here, but to underscore what a strange, strange setting the Pirates find themselves in on so many fronts, except that they're all rooted in the same foundation. And that's that lack of a minor league system because Neil Huntington and Greg Smith couldn't draft, and Neil Huntington and Kyle Stark couldn't develop. I've been saying it for years. I'm probably going to be saying it for years more because it's going to continue to have a devastating, devastating impact on this franchise for years to come. The damage that these guys did is still being tallied up. When we come back, a much happier topic. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. In normal times, one in seven people in western Pennsylvania are what's known as food insecure, meaning they don't know where their next meal is coming from. That includes one in five children. Now imagine during this ongoing pandemic how much greater that need is. If you are in need of food assistance or if you would just like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, do so online. And it's a terrific website, very easy, very user-friendly, at pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell out those first three words. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. Ben took his hits. Ben took his bumps and bruises, to use his own exact words in the Giants game. He got tossed down a couple of times. The first hit he took, he went down on his right shoulder, and he had the 11-yard scramble, and then he got up kind of slowly from it, and he was clutching his knee, and you're going, oh, no, oh, no, what what now? What next? And then there was that scene on the sideline. And I've got Dale Lawley, our beat writer at DK Pittsburgh Sports, bumping my elbow. Look look down there. Look down there. Dale's got the binocs so he could see everything. I can't see a thing up there. And he's pointing out that Mason Rudolph's starting to warm up. And he's looking at Ben's arm and Ben's right arm is wrapped up in his jacket. And Dale's like about to put onto our live file. Mason's coming in. Mason, but he, but he holds off, which is what a good reporter does. You're looking for verification instead of freaking everybody out. And then, as it was time for the offense to go back onto the field, of course, Ben Roethlisberger went back out there and ended up 
winning the game with no other apparent issues. Get used to this. That's what I have to say. Ben's not going to play all 16 games. Ben's not going to emerge unscathed from many of the games that he does play. He's always built his game on being so big and strong as a quarterback that people just kind of fall off of him. So he'll plant himself, he'll stay in there confidently and comfortably, kind of the way he did, if you'll recall, on Juju Smith-Schuster's first touchdown. There was a safety blitz by Jabril, Jabril Peppers that Benny Snell did really well to pick up, but there were two other guys coming right at Ben. I mean, it's just the way this play was designed. And Ben takes kind of a step and a half back, and while he's leaning back, makes this perfect arc toss to Juju for the six. That's Ben. He's not going to change that any more than what uh, Art Rooney slash Todd Haley implemented and forced in his game a few years ago. He's steadier in the pocket, but he's still going to spill out of there once in a while, and he's still going to hang in there too long. So he's going to take his hits. But that doesn't answer the question of, of the Mason Rudolph thing. What was it that actually happened there? Because that didn't look like that was about a hit if he's standing there with his arm wrapped up. So, of course, there were more questions that went his way. Uh, what was that thing on his arm? He said it was a jacket. Uh, that's just something they talked about. He likened it to what baseball pitchers do. He cited the weather, which I can verify there in East Rutherford, New Jersey, was getting a lot chillier. It was dropping into the low 50s. And if you go out there dressed for what the kickoff temp was, which was around 70, that's a precipitous drop. You can feel that. So that's at least plausible, maybe. But Mason Rudolph was warming up. And who okayed that? Who told Mason Rudolph to go warm up? This is what Ben had to say. And it, if it sounds like he's really struggling to find a, a, a good way to answer it, there's a reason for it. Um, well, first of all, I, yeah, there obviously were a little bit of jitters. I was excited, nervous to be out there. Um, just wanted to not let my guys down. You know, that was the biggest thing. And um, as for Mason warming up, I, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I didn't know that he was. Okay. Well, if Ben's not as elusive in the backfield as he once was, he's still as elusive as ever when it comes to not sharing something that he doesn't want to share. I have no idea. I mean, I can only guess. Uh, there was a throw that Ben made just before that where he was running to his right. You'll remember this when I describe it. He's running to his right, and he throws back hard against his body to a wide-open Eric Ebron, and the ball went off of his hands. Now you remember it, see? And Ebron was all upset. It should have been that he should have caught the ball. He should have caught it. Your quarterback makes that kind of effort, puts that much into a throw, come up with it. It's not something that Ben would or could have ever practiced at any point in training camp making a throw like that. 
So maybe he feels something. Maybe there's... Remember that there was a surgical repair involved in this. And whenever you have a surgery of any kind in life, there's scar tissue that gets pulled or yanked and you feel something and it's not comfortable. And then you realize, oh, that's just scar tissue and that's normal. That's how this is supposed to feel. That's as close as I can come to a guess. But something definitely happened there. Obviously, I'm not trying to be the boogeyman here or anything. Obviously, he's not hurt. He didn't have a recurrence of his injury. But it's it's something worth keeping an eye on in general where he's concerned because he is going to have ramifications of that scar tissue because he didn't have a preseason. He didn't have the number of snaps that he normally would going in, coming off a surgery. And he's going to have other things happen to him. It's just going to be a constant narrative, if not the dominant narrative of the season that's still ahead. But you know what? When he's playing, when he's throwing, he's still looking pretty good. He's still looking pretty good. And you will take that over the alternative. When we come back, we almost had, almost, a pair of Stanley Cup finalists last night. The Islanders had something to say. undecided. The Islanders prevailed 2 to 1 in double overtime on a pretty nice play. A 2 on 1 in which Anders Lee not only started the sequence uh, inside the New York zone by chipping the puck past Kevin Shattenkirk to create the 2 on 1, then he slid a pass under the sweeping stick of Mikhail Sergachev, and then right on to the stick of Jordan Eberle, who finished it. So the series is now 3-2 in favor of the Bolts. The Bolts don't advance until they advance. This group is not to be trusted. They've been among the most talented teams in the NHL for quite a while. They haven't made it to where they're supposed to make it. So if there's any cynicism that they could possibly blow a 3-1 series lead, it's justified. I don't think they will. But I do think a couple of things about this game and where the final is headed. First one is about this game. I mentioned Shattenkirk. He whiffed on a slap shot from the right point. This is one of the better offensive defensemen in the NHL over the past few years. This probably has happened to him like almost never in his life. It's not something that is common at the NHL level. It's not common at the AHL level. It's not common at the ECHL level. It's just not. Defensemen don't just completely fan on a point shot. But it was double overtime. And things happen. And after... 
the goal, you could see Shattenkirk skate straight to the tunnel. Some of his teammates were trying to pat him on the shoulder or whatever. He was having none of it, went straight to the locker room. I hate that. Can I just say that? I, I When you get to multiple extra innings or you get to, you know, whatever passive football doesn't have any overtime, so not a great parallel there, but basketball has great OTs. Hockey has the best OTs because they just go on and on and on and on. And every single play counts. Every single thing you try counts. And I find myself, especially when I'm watching a couple of teams that I have no particular interest or investment in, I just don't want to see somebody blow it. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to see a goalie let in a 110-footer. Uh, I don't want to see a defenseman just fall down. Uh, I don't want to see a giveaway. Well, giveaways are different because giveaway, you really blew it. It's not just something bad happened to you. That hurt. That, that's all I have to say here. I have no investment whatsoever in the Tampa Bay Lightning. And actually, Kevin Shattenkirk's a guy who's done some eh, things over the course of his career. So he's not somebody that you easily have a lot of sympathy for, but still it just kind of stinks. The second thing that I have to say here, and I'm going to keep repeating this until it comes true, the Dallas Stars will win the Stanley Cup. And everything that happened last night only furthered that. Because the Stars are an older team. They're going to be older than either of these two teams. And they could use a little bit of the break. Yeah, you lose some momentum, you lose some mojo and so forth, but it's a Stanley Cup final. You can figure it out. You can manufacture it. But when I think of the guys that make Dallas go, with all due respect to these young, fast defensemen that they have, I'm still thinking about the Joe Pavelskis, the, the guys that are up front for Dallas. You know, Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, they've been around for a while. They're not ancient, but they're not teenagers either. They could use the break. And watching these two teams knock each other's brains out into double overtime and then extend the series further, the camera showed Rick Bonus up in the seats watching as he had to be smiling somewhere inside. You're not going to do that outwardly. The Dallas Stars are going to win the Stanley Cup. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who get hurt in car accidents. They represent people in workers' comp cases, medical malpractice claims. I've met Larry Kelly, good guy. He tells me that above anything else, they take pride in doing what they say they're going to do. They keep promises. They've been doing that for 80 years. LGKG, as they're known has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City, or you can just find out more about them on the web by going to lgkg.com or call them on the phone, 888-842-5454. Am I the only one watching the Stanley Cup Final? I felt like through this whole segment, like I was speaking to this room of crickets. Like, is anyone watching the playoffs still? I don't know. I haven't checked the the ratings. 
I mean, there's a part of me that would actually really welcome finding out that the ratings completely tanked because they locked out all the American reporters, and we American reporters are so essential to their business that it devastated them to not have us up there covering them. But I'll bet it hurts. I'll bet it hurts. I'll bet when you look at, let's say, for example, the ratings in Dallas or Tampa Bay, which are southern markets where the NHL would still continue to benefit to make real inroads, I can tell you right now there are zero reporters from the Tampa Bay market, meaning Tampa proper, St. Petersburg, in Edmonton covering these playoffs. There are zero reporters from Dallas, particularly the morning news, who are covering these playoffs. I'm not sure about New York. I'd be surprised if there was anybody who regularly covers the Islanders, because that's a pretty small group to begin with. It's not Manhattan. And I wonder if that doesn't have an impact. I'd be curious to to find out more about it. You know what? I'm going to get back to you on this one. I'm going to get back to you on this one tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to this one. Make sure you listen to our Steelers and Pirates podcasts as well. Chris Carter and Dale Lawley on football. Alex Stumpf and Noah Hiles on baseball. They're very good shows. Those guys put a lot into them. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.